I love the words of that song, I'll risk it all if you make me like you. It's an awesome, awesome story. Seeing what Jesus did with Matthew, Mark, Luke, Peter, John, all the disciples in that boat. And Peter, the only guy to get out of the boat and walk on the water with Jesus. Twelve disciples sat in that boat. One guy got up and said, I'll risk it all if you'll make me like you. Let's pray this morning. Father, again, I ask you just to come and to speak through your word to our hearts. Make your desire for us, Lord, so clear this morning that we would just uh, leave this place knowing, knowing deeply, God, what it is that you want us to do, how you want us to live. Show us, Lord, how we can get out of our boat this morning. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to open up Matthew chapter 14 this morning. We'll take a look at uh, one of my favorite stories, one that was uh, portrayed for us here visually. And uh, one of the great illustrations in the New Testament of the amazing power of Jesus and his ability to uh, be patient with the disciples and to call them out of their boat into something way beyond themselves. Matthew 14, verse 22 is where we'll pick it up. Early in the chapter, Jesus fed the 5,000 plus, and uh, he did send the disciples out in that boat, and he did come to them on the water. Let's look at it in verse 22 of Matthew 14. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on the mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost! They said, cried out in fear. Verse 27, But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Gotta love Peter. Lord, if it's you, if it's really you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. And I imagine with a smile on his face, maybe even a little bit of laughter. You gotta see Jesus in this moment, thinking, okay, come, come on. Then Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink, beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith. He said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. The forecast in your outline says this this morning. Faith almost always involves risk. Faith almost always involves risk. And risk always takes us out of our comfort zone. But being on the water with Jesus is where we tend to grow the best and the most. I said in the first week of this series that there's no better place to grow than in the storms of life. Now, we tend to forget this, especially when we're in the midst of a storm. And honestly, most of us would rather grow some other way. How many of you would rather grow some other way than in a storm? Of course we would. You know, we'd rather grow in the lazy boy chair of life than in the storms of life. We'd rather grow in bed or huddle next to a nice warm fire with a cup of coffee or hot cocoa in our hands than in the midst of something hard and scary. But throughout the Word of God, throughout God's Word, and throughout our lives, we see this principle at work. And it's very simple. Faith equals risk. If you're taking notes, write that down. Because we see this principle throughout the Word. Faith equals risk. And that's how we grow and advance the kingdom of God. Abraham was called from a place 
that was comfortable to him from his home to a place he did not know, to a place of potential risk for him. Moses was called to go back to Egypt where he had murdered someone and and had risk in the whole endeavor going back to a place that he had run from. Esther, remember the story. She was called by God to go to the king on behalf of her people. And going to the king, at that moment, she risked her life. Mary, called to be the mother of Jesus, and she risked disgrace, public disgrace, because of her embracing, yes, God, I will do it. Be it unto me, as you say. Peter was called by Jesus to walk on the water at the risk of looking like a fool. But he did it anyhow. Let me say it again. Faith almost always involves risk. And risk always takes us out of our comfort zone. Trust me on this. Always. Takes you out of that place where you're comfortable. But the truth is, being on the water with Jesus is where we tend to grow the best and the most. Just prior to this experience in Matthew 14, uh, as I mentioned, Jesus fed over 5,000. He said 5,000 men plus women and children. So there's this miracle where Jesus takes, you know, a few loaves and a few fish and feeds all these people. In John's account of this story, John tells us that the people wanted to make him king. They were so awed, amazed by what had taken place that they had this brilliant idea. It, you know, we need to make this guy king. Look at what he can do for us. But Jesus, knowing that, dismissed the crowd. That was not his agenda. He said, nope, we're getting out of here. Go home. And he sent the disciples out on the, the lake. And it says the boat was a considerable distance from land. Now, if you remember the, the lake, the Sea of Galilee, about 12 miles long, about 6 miles wide. And in Mark's account, it says that he's somewhere between 3, 3 and 4 miles out from shore. The disciples are in this boat. And the severe windstorm hits. And I don't know if you've been out to Coeur d'Alene Lake where you've seen big winds, but they're white caps, and the boat is rocking, and the wind is howling. What should have been a short and easy journey for the disciples would have taken hardly any time at all. Them in a boat rowing across, no big deal. They've done it many times. What should have been an easy journey turns into hours of struggle and torment. Hours. They were sent out in the evening, and now it's in the fourth watch of the night, which is somewhere between uh, 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. in the morning. So at the earliest, it's 3 a.m. Could have been as late as 6 a.m. And so they've been out there for hours. It's dark. They're tired. They're probably a little grumpy. Anybody get grumpy when they're tired? You know, they're probably riven and yelling and getting in, in each other's face. And suddenly somebody says, what's that? You know, they see somebody. They don't know what it is. They think it's a ghost. They think it's this, this phantom that's coming to get them. And so they, they freak out. They panic. They scream. They yell. I mean, they're terrified. The strong, uh, the language is very strong. They were just a little afraid. They didn't say, I wonder what that is. Hmm, I don't know. I mean, they were, they were intensely upset and terrified by the situation. And then they hear this familiar voice over the wind and the waves. Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. And you can imagine at that moment just this, oh, that's such good news to know that it's not a ghost. It's you, Lord. And yet they're still shaking their head going, how is this possible? Well, there are a couple of storm lessons I want us to take a look at. When I started working through this passage this week, I actually came up with five. But I didn't think you wanted to be here a couple hours. So we'll focus on two very important ones, a couple of them. The first one is this. Number one, your outline. Obeying Jesus is no guarantee of a storm-free existence. Obeying Jesus, doing what God asks you to do, is absolutely no guarantee of a storm-free existence. Where do we get the idea that obedience to God means being spared adversity? Remember who sent them out on that lake. It was Jesus who put them in that boat. Now, did he know that the storm would come? 
We don't know for sure, but I suspect so. And you can bet that the disciples are out there in the boat blaming Him. Can't believe Jesus sent us out here again. Remember Matthew 8, the first week? They'd been in a storm before at His direction. And I'm sure they're just ticked off. Didn't even have the nerve to come with us. And here we are out in the midst of this. They're blaming Jesus for this situation. They're frustrated. They're upset. God knew what Abraham, Moses, and Esther and Mary would face. He knew. And Jesus knew that His disciples would not have an easy life following Him. I mean, over and over again, Jesus made that clear. Let me give you a couple of verses. Matthew 8, 19 and 20. Then a teacher of the law came to Him, to Jesus, and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. I'm in. Let me, let me come with you. I'm ready to go. And Jesus, sometimes He just had these, huh, responses to things like that. Because He looked at the heart. He knew what was here. And He looked at that guy and He said, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests. But the son of the man, son of man, has no place to lay his head. What was he saying? He's saying, "Listen, I'm glad that you're a pump that you want to follow me, but let's get this straight. It's not going to be a picnic. It's not going to be an easy life." John 16:33, Jesus speaking to his disciples just before his death said, "This here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows." Now I want to tell you something that maybe you've missed before. It doesn't say a few. It doesn't say once in a while. What does it say? Come on, what does it say? Many. Many trials and sorrows. But take heart because I've overcome the world. And there are other places where Jesus made it very clear. Following me is not going to be easy. It's not going to be a piece of cake. It's not going to be this life of ease. Paul wrote to to Timothy in 2 Timothy and he said these words. Endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Paul understood it as well. If you've read the book of Acts, you know his story. You know how much he went through. And Paul said to Timothy, this young man, he said, Listen, guy, here's the deal. You've got to hang in there. In all these situations, no matter what comes, endure. Keep going. I've got a dear friend of mine that I've known since high school. And his name is Greg. And about 15 years ago, Greg was diagnosed with MS. And he suffered. He suffered so much. And he's been prayed for many times by many, many people, including me. He's cried out to God for healing time and time again. But over the years, his condition's only gotten worse. I don't know why. I wish I could tell you. I've got the answer. I don't know. I don't know why this has happened. I don't know why he's gone from bad to worse. I don't know why God hasn't healed him. And you can theologize this situation all you want. You probably ticked me off in the process, but you can go there if you want. You can just theologize it all you want, but it doesn't change the fact that my friend Greg has suffered many trials and many, many sorrows. And yet I sat with him in his living room quite a few years ago. And he looked at me and he said, Kurt, despite my struggles, despite all the disappointments, despite what I'm going through right now, I've never felt closer to Jesus. My friend Greg is walking with Jesus even though he's lost the ability to walk. He can't physically walk anymore, but he's walking with God. He understands that God never promised us an easy life, just the best life. He never promised you the easy way, just the best way. The best way is where we have this absolute guarantee of his presence no matter what we face. The best way is this this absolute promise we have, this absolute promise that even in our weakness, God's power is perfected and made real. Like I've said before, sometimes we cause the storms. 
And truthfully, we dealt with this. Uh, you know, it, it, last week we looked at it. Hey, sometimes we cause the storms through our defiance, through our rebellion, through our choosing to do it our way instead of God's way. We end up in a place that's hard. And when that's the case, let me just remind you, what do you do? Humble yourself and return. Humble yourself and come to God. But sometimes we end up in storms through no fault of our own. And in fact, it may be after doing exactly what God has asked us to do. Obeying Jesus is no guarantee of a storm-free existence. We will ultimately overcome. I know, what about all the promises? You know, the truth is we will ultimately overcome because He has overcome and we are in Christ. But that doesn't mean the journey will be an easy one. And if you're investigating Christianity today, I want, you, I, I want you to know, I want you to hear me say this. God is the answer. Jesus is the way. He's going to give you life freedom. He's going to give you more than you could ever possibly have on your own. He's going to give you a new heart, a new life, freedom from all your past. But it's not you know, in the Bible that if you come to Jesus, He's going to make everything right. He's going to make it all perfect. He's going to fix everything for you. You will not find that in the Scriptures. The promise is, I will be with you. I will never forsake you, never leave you. The promise is, I'll be your strength. The promise is, in your weakness, I'm going to be perfected. I'm going to make real. I'm going to demonstrate myself through you. Now, does that mean we just wallow in the storm? No. Pray hard. I'm still praying for my friend Greg. Pray hard. Fight the good fight. Fight it hard. Deal with it. Don't just sit there and, you know, take this, oh, well, you know, Eeyore, sometimes life is bad, you know. Don't go there. I'm not suggesting that we just somehow give up. Just the opposite. Pray hard. Fight the good fight of faith. But listen to me. When the storm comes and you believe you've done everything God's asked you to do, don't be shocked and don't be discouraged. Don't give up. Obeying Jesus is no guarantee of a storm-free existence. Here's the second lesson, number two. Faith is demonstrated by action. Faith is demonstrated by action. In fact, the Bible says that faith without action is dead. James 2.17, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Now, he's not saying here that we earn our salvation by action or by works. There is no conflict here with the teaching of Paul Ephesians 2 or Titus 3 or anywhere else in the New Testament. But James is saying, he is saying this, that true and living faith will be demonstrated by what we do. James made it very clear. If you read the book of James, you're going to be challenged. And he makes this clear. Faith, genuine faith, will result in action. It's like taking a kid to Toys R Us. We went, went in there yesterday to buy a gift for my niece. Ever seen a kid in Toys R Us? My goodness, there's action. Mommy, you know, I want that, I want that, I want that, you know. And there's, there's definitely an engagement on the child's part. Or taking a kid into Chuck E. Cheese's. For me, that's pretty much Hades. I, I, hate, I hate Chuck E. Cheese's. But you take a kid in a place like that, I mean, you, that's action. It's, that faith is, that's genuine will result in action. Yes, Peter had a faith crisis once he got out of the boat. 
But it was faith in Jesus that got him on the water in the first place. Peter did have faith in Jesus. He already knew the miracle working power of Jesus. He'd seen him do miracle after miracle. He'd already seen him calm a storm back in Matthew chapter 8. And again, just that day, he'd seen Jesus feed over 5,000 people with a kid's sack lunch. You know, nothing. He knew that if Jesus was involved, nothing was impossible. I, I really do believe Peter got that. That's why he's thinking, Lord, Lord, if it's you, I, I want to come. Verse 29, come, Jesus said. Then Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. Peter had faith to get out of the boat. Peter's faith resulted in action. Something huge happened in Peter's heart that night. Of all the guys on that boat, in the middle of that storm, something, or better put, someone, got a hold of Peter's heart and stirred faith in him. I want to read to you from a book that is one of my favorites, John Ortberg's book. If you want to walk on water, you've got to get out of the boat. And really was the inspiration for this series. And I want to read to you a couple things that he said today. And this one, uh, just, I laughed as I read this. He said, if you want to walk on water, you've got to get out of the boat. I believe there's something... Someone inside us who tells us there's more to life than sitting in the boat. You were made for something more than merely avoiding failure. Do you believe that? You were made for something more than merely avoiding failure. There's something inside of you that wants to walk on the water, to leave the comfort of routine existence and abandon yourself to the high adventure of following God. You know, you can say what you want about Peter's tendency to stick his foot in his mouth or his proclivity for getting into trouble. trouble. But you know what? Peter knew. He knew that he was made for something more than just existing as some boat potato. That God had given him a heart to follow him. And if getting out of that boat's not faith, then I don't know what is. He got out of the boat. But what happened? And this is a very important part for us to consider this. What happened? To Peter's faith. Look again at verse 30. But when he, Peter, saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith. He said, why? Why did you doubt? Now, I want you to notice something here with me in verse 31. Jesus chastises him for having little faith. But he doesn't say, Peter, you had no faith. Do you see it? He says, Peter, why did you have little faith? Why was it small? Why wasn't it bigger? Why couldn't you stay? What started, though, is big water walking, walking faith ended in distress. Why? Because Peter took his eyes off of Jesus, and then doubt crept in, and that's when he began to sink. The word doubt, verse 31, it's a great word. In the original language of the Bible, in Greek, it's the word testazo. And it comes from actually two words, die, which means double, and stasis, which means uh, stands. And so it's literally translated means double stands. Isn't that a great understanding for doubt? Double stands. And the word picture there is someone who's straddling two routes, two roads. That one goes this way and one goes this way. And, and he's not really sure. He's got one foot here and one foot there. Double stands. He's not sure which way he wants to go. And, and he's not really committed to, to either one. Peter's problem was not the storm. The storm was happening when he got out of the boat. The storm was happening when he was in the boat. It wasn't the storm. His problem was his focus. He shifted his focus from the Savior to the storm. 
while he was in that boat, storms raging. He looks, he sees it's Jesus. He hears the words of Jesus. Take courage, guys. Don't be afraid. It's me. It's me. And then he said, Lord, if it's really you, and who's he looking at that moment? He's looking at Jesus. Jesus, if it's really you, then, then bid me come. I want to come out to you. At that moment, when he stepped out of that boat and began to walk towards Jesus, his focus was on the Lord. But he lost his focus. It shifted from the Savior to the storm. And I want to tell you something this morning that I've learned the hard way, and I hope you don't have to learn it this way. But your success in kingdom walking, your success in following God, your success or failure has everything to do with where your focus is. Has everything to do with where your focus is. Is it on Jesus or is it on the storm? Now, before we get too critical of Peter or start to beat ourselves up, all of us, everyone in this room, knows what it's like to look at the storm and to take our eyes off of Jesus. Anybody here never done that? Yeah. I mean, we all know what it's like to initially maybe step out and to try this great thing for God and then find ourselves in this place of double standing, in this place of doubt. Most of you know that we moved in this building uh, just a year ago now, in, in November of 2004. And what you may not know is that I went through a pretty serious crisis of faith in the spring of 2004. I did this message series, and some of you were here, some of you weren't, but I did this message series called Voyages of Faith. And I, I, I did it to cast vision for stepping out, trusting God, to encourage us to be men and women of faith, to put our hope and confidence in God. And, and, uh, I, and I let, it led to a time where uh, in June we took our first in-gathering building fund offering. We knew to remodel this place. You know, if, again, if, if you're new here, you need to know, if it's not a block wall, we put it up. So, I mean, this was a, a gutted, ugly, dead pigeon, pigeons everywhere. Trust me, they were. But uh, there, it was Kmart, and we came in, and we knew what it would take to do it, and we figured it would be at least $250,000. Now, before you gasp, that's nothing compared to what it would cost to build a 30,000-square-foot facility. Be millions of dollars to build something like this. So this was a good deal for us, long-term lease, an investment that we knew would be good for the kingdom. And I cast vision for it. I did an amazing job of casting vision for. <laughs> Except for one little problem. When we took the offering, I was hoping we'd take in 100, 125,000. Guess what it was? Thirty-five thousand dollars. Now again, you're thinking that's pretty cool. Not from my perspective. I'm thinking, Lord, this is never going to happen. We need $250,000, and we got 35000 What happened to me? My eyes shifted from Jesus to the storm. I took my eyes off of him. Now, if that bothers you that I had a crisis of faith, then live with it. <laughs> I'm human, you know. I, I can struggle just like you. As it turned out, God took care of us. He always does. And more money came in over time, and we ended up taking out a $100,000 loan, which, by the way, in two weeks we're going to try and pay off uh, with a special year-end uh, building fund offering. But what did I learn? What did I learn? This is so... I just love God. Here's what I learned. I learned that God is faithful even when I'm faithless. Some of you need to hear that this morning. God is faithful. He is so faithful to you. I love the picture of Jesus reaching down. You know what I do? I say, Peter, you just stay there for a while. 
You're sinking because you didn't have faith in me. You didn't trust me. What's wrong with you? Just suck a few gallons up and then maybe. But it says here, what did Jesus do? A key word, immediately. Isn't that amazing? Without hesitation. <clears throat> Peter, it's okay, I'm here. You know. And by the way, wherever Peter was, that means when Jesus reached in and grabbed him, they were walking together back to the boat. You get that too, right? Isn't that awesome? Come on, Peter. We can do this. Here's what I learned, guys. And I want, you, I want you to get this. Get it here. Even when we're faithless, God is faithful. 2 Timothy 2.13 If we are unfaithful, He remains faithful, for He cannot deny Himself. And you're a part of Him. Peter failed. We could focus on that, and some probably have. But I think there were 11 other guys who had a bigger failure in the boat that night. They failed to have faith in Jesus, even enough to get out of the boat. They failed to take the risk to step out like Peter did. And you can only imagine what they're thinking. I'm going to ask a few of them. Andrew, what do you think of your brother when he's stepping out there? You know? What was going in your head? I'm sure they're thinking, oh my goodness, here he goes again. What a bonehead. I can't believe he's up there doing that. What's he think? Who's he think he is? You know, I'm, I, all those attitudes, and yet the bottom line is, I think the biggest failure was those 11 guys. Again, quoting from John Ortberg, he says, the worst failure is not to sink in the waves. Think about this. The worst failure is not to sink in the waves. The worst failure is to never get out of the boat. The call to get out of the boat involves crisis, opportunity, often failure, generally fear, sometimes suffering, Always, listen, always, the calling to a task too big for us. But he writes these words, and it's so true. There's no other way to grow faith and to partner with God. Jesus is still looking for people who will get out of the boat. The choice, and it is that, the choice to come to Jesus on the water is a choice to risk. And therefore, it is a choice to grow. Let me say it one more time. Faith almost always involves risk. And risk always takes us out of our comfort zone. And so let me wrap this up this morning with a very important question. What's your boat? What's your boat? And by the way, you know, the best way to determine that is to look at your fear. Your fear will always reveal what really is going on in your life. You see, your boat is whatever represents safety and security to you apart from God. Your boat is whatever you're tempted to put your trust in, especially when life gets a little stormy. Do you run to MasterCard or the Master? What do you put your trust in when things are hard? Your boat is whatever keeps you so comfortable that you don't want to give it up. No, Lord, I don't want to do that. I don't want to give this up. What is it that you refuse to let go of that's keeping you from joining Jesus on the waves? And your boat is whatever pulls you away. Whatever pulls you away from a high adventure. A high adventure of extreme discipleship. And get this, guys. Make no mistake about it. Jesus calls us to extreme, radical discipleship. If you want to walk on water, you've got to get out of your boat. Faith is demonstrated by action. And remember that walking on the water 
with Jesus is where we tend to grow the best and the most. I'm going to have Joe and Betsy come up, and they're just going to sing a song for us this morning. And here's what I want you to do as uh, they come and as they uh, just sing this song for us. I'm going to ask you to do some heart business with God. I'm going to ask you to, to do some soul searching and ask this question, God, what's my boat? Where have I refused to demonstrate my faith? Where have I been afraid to step out and to really trust you? And some of you, you're in a storm and you've been shocked, you've been discouraged, you've been disappointed. And what you need to do today is just come to that place where you say, Lord, I I don't get this, I don't really understand this, but I still choose to believe. I still choose to put my focus on you. Because I know it may not be the easy way, but it'll be the best way. Let me pray for you. Father, that you've called us out of the boat just amazes me. I think if every one of those disciples, Lord, if they all stood up and said, I want to come, me too, that you would have said, all right, guys, come. Lord, it's my heart today that we would cry out to you, me too. Me too, Lord. Can I come too? That we would cry out, oh God, please take me out there with you. Out on the edge, out away from all the comfort zones that I hang on to that cause me to experience so little compared to what you want, compared to what you have for me. And then, Lord, some are in the midst of a storm right here this morning, and I pray, God, that you would cause them to just fix their eyes on you, that they would not be afraid of the darkness, that they not be afraid of the storms that come their way, but that they would fix their hearts on you. Do that now this morning, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.